The title of my message today is A Portrait of Humility. A Portrait of Humility. What is a portrait? A portrait is a verbal picture or description usually of a person. So we tend to be familiar with portraits when we're talking about just the picture. Usually shoulders upwards, right? But sometimes when we're talking about a description of a particular entity, we call it a portrait. And the question I have for you is, you see many people talk about humility. Many people talk about being humble. But what does that actually look like? Is being humble using lots of titles and calling everyone chief, chief, chief. Is that humility? Is being humble umming and ahhing before you speak and bowing down and crouching down before you do whatever you do in relation to people around you? You see, it's important that we figure out what this humility thing is. Because like I mentioned to you last week, we find ourselves in a place where the Bible tells us that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He shows favor to the humble. What is grace? What is favor? It's when God raises you up, but it's unmerited. How many of you know that I need grace in my life? How many of you know that you need grace in your life? And God gives grace and favor to those who are humble. And I said to you, you can pray as much as you want for favor. You can pray as much as you want for breakthrough. But the Bible gives us this key and it says, be humble. It says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up tomorrow and he will lift you up in five minutes. No, and he will lift you up in due season. And that's where a lot of Christians have a problem. They don't want to wait for that season. And so that's why it's important to look at this issue of humility. And so I want to share with you, how many of you would want to unpack the technology of humility? A portrait of what humility really looks like. How many of you know that some of the people who come across quite confident are actually very humble? Because they are humble enough to step out and believe that what God said will come to pass. And we can think this guy is just being so arrogant. No, they're humble enough to embarrass themselves in front of people. When I get up and I'm praying for the sick, I know sometimes it can sound funny, the sounds I'm making and the groans and things like that. But if you are humble, you would come and you'll say, Paul, what's actually going on? I want to learn about that. What's actually taking place? Sometimes I'm praying for people here and I can sense that I'm now dealing with a demonic spirit and I have to take authority. And my friends, when you're taking authority, you don't have to be cute and nice. Amen? Amen. If a thief comes into your house, do you say, um, excuse me, sir, um, you're not welcome here. You're trespassing. This is my property. You don't do that. There's something in your spirit that is repulsed by what you're sensing in the spirit. And there's something that you have to release from your inner person to deal with that. So you take authority. The Bible talks about prayers and groans. And so sometimes when you're here, you can be being prayed for, but you find yourself groaning because you're birthing something in the spirit. And it's humble people who are willing to do that. Proud people want to look cute and nice. 
what is true humility? Is true humility saying, let me just, let me wear ugly clothes because I'm a humble person? What is humility? You see, humility as a virtue, it's actually a foundational virtue. Pride is the root cause of sin. If someone says, oh, I fell into such and such a sin, somewhere along the line you can trace it back to pride. When the devil was kicked out of heaven, what had he said? He had said like, oh, I'm paraphrasing the Paul Nyamuda translation. Hey, how come I can't get as much praise as Jesus is getting in this place? Look how beautiful I am. Look how wonderful my singing is. I can do this thing. He was exalted in his own eyes. Pride was the root of his rebellion. And it's the same root of our rebellion toward God when we fall into sin. Amen? But you'll find that humility is a foundational virtue. If we talk about being a loving person, how many of you know that to love people, you have to be humble? Because sometimes to truly love someone, you have to humble yourself to say, you know what, even though this person has treated me badly, I'm going to love them. How many of you know that you need humility to be patient? Because the person who's impatient, you can trace it back to pride. Because they're saying, God, my timing is better than your timing. Because they're saying, God, I deserve much better than this. But the humble person is patient because they're able to say, you know what, Lord, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner. And you know what? When it comes to sin, I'm, I'm the chief sinner. Paul the apostle, great apostle, arguably the greatest apostle of all time. He said, guys, when it comes to sin, I'm the chief of sinners. Why did he say that? I mean, he had been delivered of his sin. He had moved on with God. But you see, when we walk in brokenness before God and when we are continuously in his presence in comparison to his glory and his holiness, we know that I'm just done. I'm just undone in his presence. And we can't boast. And so God is taking us to a place of humility where we are carriers of his presence and we walk in his presence with that consciousness of, you know what, I'm a sinner who was saved by grace. There's nothing I can demand from God like it's because of my righteousness. God, I've been serving you for many a day, many a year. So I deserve this. There was a guy, he was a farmer. And he decided to go and reach the lost and do some work as an evangelist. And he was preaching, preaching, preaching. And he came back and he hadn't sown all his seed. And he was upset with God because while other people were beginning to reap their harvest, his harvest was messed up. And it was like, God, you should have seen all the work I was doing for you. You should have given me a supernatural harvest. That's pride. That's pride. What is humility? Is it speaking softly all the time? Is it using fancy titles when you're talking to people? What is humility? Well, let's look at what Jesus says. Matthew 18, we're going to read from verse 1 to 5, and then we're going to read verse 10. Are you ready to get into the word this morning? At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, 
Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? These disciples sound like friends of mine when we were at school. These disciples sound like my kids. Dad, who's, who's better? Who's the best dribbler? And Dad, you can't say both of us. You have to choose one. You can't say all three of us. You have to choose one. Just now as we were coming to church, my son Samuel, my firstborn, he says, Dad, and I'm walking with the three boys, and their mom is already here in church. And Samuel says to me, Dad, um, if you had a choice between you just being with mom, just you and mom, and no kids, or just being with the three of us and no mom, what would you choose? I said, Samuel. And I believe that the root of some of these questions is the same root of this question that the disciples asked Jesus. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? There was no answer. I didn't say anything. I didn't want to be trapped. You know, Jesus would be asked certain questions by foolish people and he wouldn't answer. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? When I was at junior school, there was this big thing we had. I was at an all-boys boarding school, junior school. And a big thing was, who's the strongest? And people loved that conversation. Who's the strongest in our form? Who's the strongest in our grade? And they would have ranking systems. It's this person, then this person, then this person. And you're respected based on that. Now my question to you is, why would someone ask that? And some of you are looking at me and you're thinking these questions are crazy, but these are the questions you mull over. Some of you don't verbalize them, but you'll be thinking about it. I saw on the internet recently a thing that said, top 10 greatest men of God in Africa. Yes! Obviously, it's grown-ups who put this stuff. And then I was curious, obviously. Go and, go and look it up. Top 10 greatest African men of God. And you see them there all listed. So-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. And then they say things about the people. And then afterwards, when you read the commentary, people are now bleak. They're upset because their man of God isn't on the list. So people were now writing in. No, but, I don't want to start mentioning names. So-and-so. He's one of the greatest apostles in Africa. And many of these people you've mentioned in your list, they look up to him as a spiritual father. Then other people are coming in. No, there's so-and-so also. And then someone who's wise says, guys, guys, you know, don't worry. Like, you know, some of the, the names that have been written here are representing all the men of God. <laughs> and I was looking at it, I was thinking, this is just like the disciples. Who is the greatest? And I find it very interesting because Jesus then didn't say he did something. It says he called a little child to him. That word for little child, it speaks of an infant. He called a little child to him. He got someone like Evan and literally put him probably on his lap. And he placed the child among them. Okay, among them. So here, guys. Right? And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you... Unless you do what? People don't like changing. Some of you have started coming to church now, 2016. Maybe it was your New Year's resolution. I'm a researcher at heart. How many of you, your New Year's resolution, you said, this year I'm going to be coming to church? I'm just curious. 
or you're too shy to raise your hand. Okay? Or you didn't say it or you thought it. But you see, a lot of Christians don't like changing. But if we're going to be humble, it's going to require some kind of change. And it says here, unless you change and become like little children. It doesn't say unless you change and become childish. Unless you change and you become childlike. Like an infant. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Isn't Jesus amazing? These guys are debating who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus doesn't answer the question immediately of greatest in the kingdom. He answers the question of just entering the kingdom. It's like he's saying, guys, first off, let's talk about just entrance. Entry requirements. <laughs> Could it be that in my walk with the Lord, I'm saying, Lord, show me the technology of taking nations. And God is saying, let me just, first off, first off, Paul, this is how you qualify to be one who actually influences within your family. Can you see that our humility will affect the type of requests we make? I just find it fascinating. He doesn't immediately talk about who's the greatest. He says, first of all, change and be like a child just to enter. My question to you is, are you like a child? And we'll talk about the qualities of children just now. Then he goes on to say, he says, Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child. Now, in those days, were children highly respected? No. When a child would have his bar mitzvah, when a child was now 13, he, the name of the child changes. The name of the child is now, the, the, in, in the original language, is kulos, which literally means you're now an heir. And that's when the child was a bit more respected. But prior to that, it's like, you know what, this is, this is a kid. The kid is doing his own thing and the grown-ups are doing their own thing. Amen? But Jesus here says, unless you take this lowly position of this child. One of the things I love about the gospel is the gospel basically brought freedom to women. Jesus had a whole lot of women around him. That's why they were shocked when he was talking to a woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. So Jesus brought freedom to women. Jesus also brought freedom to children. He brought them to a place of dignity. He used a child for the miracle of the multiplication of the loaves and the fish. And he used kids in his example saying, guys, unless you become like this infant, unless you take this lowly position of a child, my question to you is, what are the other lowly positions in society right now that God might be saying, take up that lowly position? Are you following me this morning? So when we talk about humility, Jesus uses the example of changing and becoming like a child. Then he goes on to say, therefore whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name, welcomes me. Your humility will be seen in how you become like a child and in how you welcome children. And when he's talking about children, he's not just talking about an infant alone. He's using that as a picture. But he's talking about how when you become a humble person, it's seen in who you welcome into your life. 
My question to you is, are you the person who only likes being associated with certain types of people? Are you a type of person who says, and we see this happening at high school, you know where you've got the pretty girls, we watch all those movies, don't we? have got the pretty girls and they're in a bevy, and then they look down on the nerd. How many nerds in the house today? <laughs> Praise God, hallelujah. Okay. They look down on the nerds. They look down on the people who dress in what they consider to be a funny way of dressing. But the Bible here talks about who you welcome, not just who you are. So we cannot say, I will take up a lowly position as a child, but at the same time, we're not welcoming children. Come on now. We cannot say, I will take on the guise of a servant, but in the same vein, we're not welcoming servants. Your humility is seen in who you change to become and in who you welcome. Come on now. How do you measure who is welcome into my inner circle and who is not? How do you rate the people around you? What is it based on? Is it based on the cash they have? Is it based on their position in society? I still remember pastoring a particular church and there was a particular lady who was quite linked with a lot of embassies and a lot of um, ambassadors and import, important people in society. And I remember she said to me, Paul, I really want to influence and I want, you know, there's a circle of people who seem to be interested in Christianity. But you know, we just must bear in mind that when these people start coming to church, we also need to up our game question I have is why shouldn't we be upping our game anyway? Are the people who were already coming not worthy of us having a spirit of excellence and doing our best? Are we doing it for people or are we doing it for God? You can, some more of you can clap, not just Magda. You know the power of clapping? You, one of the things is you clap to show you in agreement. But when you clap in a congregation like this, it also does something in the spirit. How many of you know that when you prophesy, when you speak forth the word of God, it activates angels? The Bible tells us that angels are there for the bidding of the word of God. So when there's lots of prophecy, lots of decreeing of the word of God, angelic activation takes place. Someone was saying, I was listening to someone saying, you know what, a lot of angels out there are literally just scratching their heads like they're waiting. They, they feel like they're unemployed. Because they're like, come on, give us something to do. But the church isn't doing what it's supposed to do to activate the ministry of angels. Come on now. Amen. Praise God. The church, the, this church learns quickly. Amen. <laughs> Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Could it be that we are desperate for God's presence and we're saying, Holy Spirit, you're so welcome, but we've divorced the Holy Spirit from people. Could it be that the Holy Spirit is saying, how can you be saying you're welcoming me into your presence, but you have not welcomed that little infant? Jesus says, when you welcome one of these in my name, you're welcoming me. I'm telling you right now, there's a link between embracing the, those who are considered low in society and marginalized and the presence of God. 
In verse 10 it says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. What does the word despise mean? You don't look down. You don't minimize one of these little ones. For I tell you, watch this. For I tell you that the angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. We have angels. We have angels that have been assigned to protect us. We have angels that have been assigned to work on our behalf when the word of the Lord over us is decreed. What was happening earlier on this morning is there's been angelic activation for some of you here as you received a word from the Lord. And I find it interesting, Jesus is basically saying, be very careful how you treat these lowly ones because they have angels that are looking at Father God. What would happen if we, as we walked out of the church building, what would happen if we start looking at people differently? What would happen if when I greet Kotso, I'm also conscious of his angels? Come on now, I'm just reading the word of God. Jesus said that do not despise them because they have angels. Right. Do you know that sometimes certain breakthroughs happen when we minister to people, not just because of the faith of the person praying, but also because as something is decreed and declared, it gives a job profile to that person's angels. A few of you got that. A few of you got that. We don't pray to angels. We pray to the Lord and we make decrees. But as we do so, if it's done in submission to the Lord, if it's done from the right heart and the right place, the angels recognize that this, that was the word from God himself. He was using someone else as his mouthpiece, but that was the word from God. We better get cracking. In this church, may we not despise the lowly. In this church, may we not look down on infants, even your own children. For Jesus says, the angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. So let's explore the characteristics of a child. If Jesus says to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to become like a child. What's a child like? I know some of the moms here are just thinking of the negative things. They're like, how can Jesus use that example? Well, let's look at the character of a little child. Little kids are not self-conscious. If we want to experience the kingdom dimension, we can't keep being self-conscious as Christians. If we want to walk in the power of God, we can't keep making everything all about ourselves. Christians right now, supposedly strong Christians at high school, they're like, I was mortified. Oh, I was so embarrassed. Oh, I'll never be caught wearing that. And oh, I'll never be caught talking to so-and-so. Children don't care about those things. Have you noticed? They only learn it later on. That the only fear that kids have that we are born with is the fear of loud noises. You know, children are afraid of loud noises and the fear of falling. They say that all the other fears have been learned. What are you afraid of right now? You learned that. How did you learn it? 
If you figure out how you learned that behavior, it's possible to unlearn it. Amen? Children are not self-conscious. My kids do interesting things that show me that they've got no qualms about doing certain things. I'll be like, eh, I don't think I'll do that. But kids do it. Amen? Have you noticed that little kids don't worry? I was thinking about they don't worry. You know, for them, it's just like, oh, mom, I'm hungry. It's only as they get a bit older, like Samuel is now saying, you know, like at lunchtime, he was saying, what are we having for dinner? You know, he's starting to think ahead. <laughs> Little kids don't. They don't worry. If we want to experience the kingdom dimension and walk in faith, Jesus says, do not worry. Little kids are dependent. Little kids are dependent. They're quite comfortable with someone else cooking for them. They're quite comfortable asking you for cash or stuff. My kids last night were saying, Daddy, if you had a million rand, what would you get for us? And I'd say, I would do up the house. I would create these rooms. It would be an entertainment room for you. I'll do this. I'll do that. I would put aside more cash for your school fees. I'll do Then say, yeah, but for us, Dad. And I'm like, no, but that's for you guys. No, 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 no but, but things for us. <laughs> children are comfortable being dependent aren't they and you see when God takes us on a journey of humility one of the marks of a humble person is you are able to be dependent on someone else you see when you are mature you are interdependent you're not just independent you're interdependent meaning there are times when people depend on you but there are times when you also depend on other people if you're in a place right now where you find it difficult to ask for help it means that there's pride in you because our journey into humility is going to be a journey of dependence are you getting this this morning a child is comfortable being dependent. Have you noticed that even when a child goes with their family friends somewhere, they don't mind asking for things. Have you noticed with your kids, sometimes you have to literally hold them back. You know, when they go and someone is sponsoring a meal or something, and then they choose the expensive things. They don't mind. You're like, oh, you can't ask for that, you know? You go and you visit your friends, and it's like, don't ask for seconds. Oh, oh, our kids aren't usually like this. It's just today. They're having a bad day. As grown-ups, we're the ones that get embarrassed. <laughs> Children are humble. They ask boldly with faith. Have you noticed that? They literally believe you can afford anything. Like, Dad, why can't we have that? Dad, when are you going to get us a house in that estate? It's like everything is just limitless. Jesus says you won't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become like a child. He's talking about childlike faith. He's talking about childlike innocence. He's talking about childlike self, if just being willing to be embarrassed. He's also talking about childlike forgiveness. Little kids forgive easily. Have you noticed that? 
Sometimes my kids will talk to me about what this one did to that one and I'll be thinking, this is a major thing. And so I'm thinking, how are we gonna cope for the next few hours? And then between the time that I update my wife or she updates me and we're starting to think how we're gonna discipline this one, we come back and they're already playing with each other. And we're scratching our heads like, okay, how do we do the discipline now? Because these guys have moved on. <laughs> And it's us as adults who don't move on. I mean, this one would have scratched his brother. This one would have, yeah. I won't go into detail in terms of what my brothers, my kids do to each other. Yeah, no, I date, they're boys, you know, so there's some things they do. Some things are quite gross. If someone does just a portion of that to us as adults, what do we do? like I'm done with you you're like in suits they're like sorry I'm, I'm done with you you know I'm through with you you know those government officials I'm through with you no but, but, but I'm through with you and they're already looking away who's the where's the next person I'm through with you we're like that aren't we so children forgive easily they also believe easily. Have you noticed that? There's almost that gullible side of children. I mean, we have our kids coming and sharing with us all sorts of stories saying, so-and-so said his father earns X amount. And we're trying to convince our kids that's impossible. My wife will say to our kids, the thing my wife often says to them is, do you believe anything, everything that so-and-so says to you, that particular friend of yours? And the kids are like, oh. <laughs> they just believe what they're told. How many of us, a word comes, it's there in the Bible, there are about three, four scriptures the pastor gives you concerning that particular word, but you're still scratching your head saying, ah. I'm not too sure. <laughs> it's not like you go and search the word for yourself. You're just like, mm, Pastor, I'm a thinker. I'm an intellectual thinker. But you don't go into the word. What does it mean to welcome a child? Who do you welcome into your home? How do you assess who to welcome into your inner circle? On what basis do you receive people? I remember someone coming to me, they'd given some good advice to their boss and their boss just said to them, I know you, with, with, with you, I can't take anything you say because you, are, you, you lack experience. I can't just receive what you say because you lack experience. Could it be that the person God wants you to welcome, the person that God is sending into your life for your breakthrough is someone you've despised? Could it be that it's someone from an ethnic group that you've despised? Where you've thought to yourself, ah, these people, will they be able to actually build this thing in my house? Come on now. Ah, these people of this particular skin color who speak like this, who arrive at my house with this type of vehicle, I don't think they can sink a swimming pool for me. Come on now, that's prejudice, isn't it? Unless you've seen the person not doing it, unless you've got evidence, who's God calling you to welcome? That's humility. 
Could it be that some of the people being sent into your life to be your close friends are people you don't like to be associated with because of your own pride? Are people you don't like to be seen with because of your own pride? What I find interesting is that these disciples asked who will be the greatest in the kingdom, but they didn't ask, Lord, what qualifies us to be the greatest in the kingdom? Could it be that you are aspiring for great leadership, leadership greatness, but you haven't asked the question of what is the responsibility going to be? You see, a lot of people are consumed with the position, but they forget about position goes with responsibility. One day I'll be a senior pastor of my own church, my international ministry. <laughs> Do you know the responsibility that goes with, with being that? Entrepreneurship. I'll start my own business. Me at the top, not answering to anyone. <laughs> Come on, those of you in business know what I'm talking about. There's a responsibility. Where you are there, you are believing God. You are saying, okay, let's see. Yes, this month is cool. I don't know what the next couple of months will be. Your friends in the corporate world who believe they've got guaranteed income are there and it looks like they're sitting pretty. And they can take time off to do all sorts of things and they'll still get their paycheck. While you're there and it's money is time, time is money. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's great to have vision, but with vision comes responsibility. And proud people are so consumed with just the fame, the position. They forget about the responsibility. Matthew 20, verse 17 to 28. So we see that Jesus has used the example of a child, saying a child is a picture of humility. Amen? And he's saying we must change to become like a child, to take on that lowly position. Now he uses a different picture, and it's the picture of a servant. In Matthew 20 says, Now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day he will be raised to life. So Jesus is talking about his suffering. And look what happens. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. Jesus said, what is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. So what was Jesus talking about? He was talking about suffering. What does she come and talk about? Position. What's on your heart right now? Is it the same thing that is on Jesus' heart? Jesus is talking about his suffering, his death and his resurrection. She comes and she says, Hey, what position are you going to give my kids? Jesus then says, You don't know what you are asking. 
Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can. They answered. How many of you know one of the sources of pride, one of the faces of pride, I'm going to speak on the faces of pride next week, is when you overestimate your abilities. You say, ah, no, of course, me, I can. No, I've got this. When you've got a skewed view of what you can do and what you cannot do. And these guys are like, we've got this, of course. Cool. What does Jesus say to them? Jesus said, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. I want to ask you a question. Why isn't salvation just enough for us? Why can't we have a posture before God where our mindset is, God, I'm just so grateful that I'm saved. I don't have to be the greatest in your kingdom. I don't have to be the top dog in the church. Lord, I'm so grateful that you've saved me. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And anything over and above that, I'm like, wow, this is a bonus. You see, most Christians out there get upset. Why? Because their mentality is a mentality of entitlement. It's a mentality of, but I'm the man. I'm better than you all. And it's about time I get my promotion. And they don't realize that they've just disqualified themselves from God raising them up because they've got a mindset of entitlement. That's what it does. Elsewhere, Jesus says, when you're a servant and you've just served, don't expect a thank you. I'm talking Bible now. I'm not talk, talking what we're taught in the corporate world. Jesus says, when you serve, you must say, you know what? I'm a servant. I've just done my duty. The moment this thing creeps in you to say, why wasn't my name mentioned? Why was I not mentioned in the thanks after that big event when I worked so hard? Pastor, I'm so hurt because I wasn't acknowledged. And then pastors played to that. They're like, oh, so, so, so sorry. What can we do to acknowledge you? We've stepped into the realm of pride. And God resists the proud. God resists a proud church. Come on now. God will resist us as a church if there's a culture of pride. How many know that there's some churches where there's a culture of pride? There's some people where you can literally tell, I'm not speaking down on any church, so I'm not mentioning any names, but you can tell, oh, that person is from that church. Because they never listen to anyone else. Whenever they meet you, they're preaching at you. Maybe think they can learn from anyone else. Their prophet, their man of God knows everything. I'm mean, even that we can have a culture of pride in churches and God opposes that. God opposes nations that are prideful. I find it interesting because in verse 24 it says, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Why? Probably because they had the same selfish ambition within them. Come on now. If you're a humble person and there's someone who's always giving themselves props, you know, boasting and so on, it doesn't faze you because you're not competing with that. But you get upset with that kind of thing if you also want it. And we see this taking place here. These guys were upset. Then Jesus called them together. Why didn't he just call James and John if they were the only ones who had the issue? And let me just add something else. Could it be true that their mother was causing them to stumble? 
I mean, she's the one who went and asked Jesus. How many of you that sometimes as parents, we can put things into our children that cause our children to stumble? When we're cheering them on there, we do it in a way where we're looking down on the other people. I always make a point to cheer on some of the other kids, not just my own kids. I'll cheer on my kids, but when other kids are doing well, I'll go and I'll congratulate their parents. Because I was an athlete in my day, I'm now known in our school um, when it comes to coaching some of the other kids. So if I'm there watching my kids, I'll be saying to the other kids, okay, work on this, work on this, work on that. Because you see, sometimes when we badmouth other kids and just raise up our own, we, we literally birth a spirit of pride in our children. Let me win at all costs. Think about it. What was James and John's mom doing there? Why didn't she just leave them to ask Jesus if they wanted to ask Jesus? Why is she the one making the request? Just wondered about that. <laughs> If you had to make a request to God, what would you ask for? If you had to make a request on behalf of your children, on behalf of your siblings, what would you ask for? She said, I just want these guys to have the top positions. If she was a wise woman, maybe she would have said, Lord, I thank you so much, teacher, rabbi, whatever she called him. Thank you so much that you actually chose my kids to be your disciples, to be in your inner circle. They checked you out in the transfiguration. They updated me on that. I'm so grateful. My request is please keep them. Please keep them from falling. Please keep them close and intimate with you. That's all I ask. Humble request. But her request was... Please, I want one of them on the right, other one on the left. <laughs> the prayers that we pray to God must be prayers that come from a place of humility. That's why the Bible tells us that if my people who call me by my name humble themselves, seek my face and pray, then I will heal the land. Humility precedes prayer. You can pray very strong prayers from a place of pride and no healing takes place. Come on now. Verse 25. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. So the one area we're called to be different where there's a difference between how Christians do it and how the world does it is this area of leadership is this area of servanthood where we don't do it the world's way and Jesus here says something so powerful he says not so with you instead who want, whoever wants to become great I mean if you want to become great Jesus didn't say there's something wrong with becoming great whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant if we truly catch this revelation, we'll be desperate to find areas, even within the local church, of lowly positions to serve. Someone didn't get that. Jesus says, whoever wants to be the greatest apostle, the greatest evangelist, the greatest pastor, needs to come as a servant. How many of you believe that you're called to greatness in the kingdom of God? I would how many of you? Just raise your hand. I would encourage you right now to figure out how best you can serve. Simple as that. There's service in your local church 
and their service to society. When you figure out the technology of servanthood, God exalts you. Simple as that. People should be coming to church looking at the gaps and the cracks and saying, what can I do to make a difference? One of the things that blows me away about Loxley, Loxley is now about what, 78, 79, somewhere up there, late, late 70s, I know. Whenever he comes, he's looking for stuff to do. What can I do concerning the building? After the service today, he's going to be doing a walk, walk through with, with Michael. What things need to be fixed, what needs to be sorted out, and it's lots of stuff. Service. You might not all be into construction or engineering or that kind of thing, but what areas can you serve in? In our African society, if we're honest with ourselves, the mentality is, I want to be a father one day where everyone is just waiting on me and doing stuff for me. But how are you serving them? Fathers, how are you serving your family? Part of servanthood is being able to do menial tasks. Is there anything that is beneath you? If we want God to raise us up and to promote us, we have to humble ourselves, take on the guise of a child, take on the guise of a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. People who are proud don't serve. Oh no, that was, that's going to inconvenience me. People who are proud don't wait. Have you noticed that if you have someone who's a doctor, you've got what we call, what type of rooms? Waiting rooms. And if you value that doctor and his knowledge, you'll be humble enough to sit and to wait. Think about it. Those of you who go to a doctor and so on, just walk through the waiting rooms and you'll see people are waiting. Baby clinics, people are waiting. They are humble enough because they know in comparison to the knowledge of that medical practitioner, I am nothing. So they'll wait. Are you willing to wait for God's timing? Are you, are you willing to wait in his presence to linger, ignite? Because you know that what I'm going to get out of this, I can't get for myself and my own strength. Humble people wait. I'm going to end by giving you a checklist for humility. And you'll see this up on the website. And you can also have a look at it. If you want to know if you're a humble person or not, there's some things to ask yourself. Number one, you are willing to get into or to get correction from anyone, even if you see them as less experienced. Number two, you recognize your own frailty before God. Number three, you're not presumptuous. Number four, 
You don't have to take all of this down. You'll see it on the website. You do not have an entitlement mentality that thinks it deserves everything good. Number five, you're grateful even for the small things in life. Number six, you honor everyone around you, recognizing that they're fellow human being created in God's image. Next, you inquire of the Lord and don't trust your own ability or intellect. You do things for the audience that one is God. You would still do it even if no one was going to find out. That's a sign of humility. You would still do it even if no one was going to find out. You know that better men than you have fallen. You see, it's prideful to say, ah, oh, that's sin, I never me. I can't fall into that. That's beyond me. There are levels, my brother. There are certain sins I cannot commit. I know God too well. <laughs> Better men than you have fallen. Men who read the Bible more than you did. Men who prayed more than you have fallen. So why do you think you can't? You know that no sin is beyond you. You know that you're not beyond deception. Any of us can be deceived. You receive those that the Lord sends to you. You recognize your ignorance and your limitations. You're obedient even if it causes humiliation on your part. Some people are too, hum too proud to accept certain jobs. Ah, I've been an MD before. To now go. I know it's a bigger company, but it's a lower position and they can't. You pray from a place of humility. You allow God to guide you. There's scriptures to all of these, by the way. You are full of faith because you take God at his word. And finally, you can boast of your weaknesses like Paul. I love it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30. And I'm closing with this. Paul says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Other translations say, if I must glory, I'll glory in my weakness. What does glorying mean? If I'm glorying in my wife, I'm saying, she's so beautiful, she's so nice, she's so humble, she's just such a cool person. Paul is saying, if I must glory, I will glory in the things that show my weakness. Are you willing to disclose your weaknesses? Are you comfortable exposing weakness? Or is your whole life full of you hiding the things that you're weak in and just projecting what you're strong in?